0: I'm David Matson, and this is Primetime 89. A chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Recently, I had the chance to reacquaint with Stephen Lundy, who lives in Seattle, Washington, his de facto home where he and his husband paul have happily laid roots stevens is a story about being different about being comfortable with who you are the family you're born into and the family you create this is also a story about stephen facing his own mortality all right aloha this is prime time 89 and i'm david aloha this is prime time
1: 89 and i'm stephen
0: yeah so so what you been up to Stephen how how's how's uh, how things been out there in Seattle
1: Um all right i mean the weather's been weird it just finally started getting warm this week but other than that it's like been in the 70s like this whole time which is nice during the summer
0: yeah you
1: know, most people but it's been overcast and kind of gloomy hmm. and it usually by like the beginning of july it's usually really sunny here but It's been just really
0: overcast. Yeah, isn't isn't the weather always kind of like that? It
1: does, and that was what kept me away from here Mm -hmm. for a long time because my cousins moved here after we – they're the same age as you and I are, Mm -hmm. and they moved here right out of high school, you know, and came to college and stuff, and I avoided coming here like the plague. (laughs) because i was like i want to get wet oh my god it's always raining why do you live there it's so sad (laughs) 20 years of saying that then finally coming to visit and we got off the plane and this was after living in dallas like you get off the plane and you're like there's mountains oh my god there's trees oh my god (laughs) there's like terrain and the road winds and you know (laughs) because living living in a flat area for so long mm-hmm. and everything yeah. is just one flat road that's all it does you know yeah,
0: yeah.
1: but no i mean but d- during you get the payoff of it being gloomy during the spring and the winter you know i mean you live in buffalo you know what the winter's like oh, yeah. you guys get lake effect snow and that's never fun
0: never but
1: um You know, it doesn't snow too much here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ice too much here. It's actually a nice place to live if you want to experience seasons, but not so severely.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So summer, we get like maybe two to three weeks of like 80s, but the rest of the time it's in like the 70s.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. So your measure of hot is if it gets up into the 80s? Yeah, the
1: measure of hot here, if it goes (laughs) into the 90s, Everybody's freaking out. I have air conditioning, so I don't care. But most people here don't have air conditioning because it never used to get past like 79. Have you ever had bacon salt? Nobody sounds awesome. Okay. <laughs> there is this product. It's actually a Washington product. That's why it's like in supermarkets around here. It literally makes anything you put it on taste like bacon. Anything. I don't think these guys have perfected vanilla ice
0: cream, Rocky Road?
1: Yes. You can put that bacon salt on it and it'll make it taste like bacon. I've done that. I've done vanilla ice cream with the bacon salt on it and it works.
0: Wow. This is this is my mind being blown right now.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: J and D bacon salt.
1: Bacon salt. You can even order it on Amazon.
0: So Steven, how do you take your eggs?
1: I usually like them fried over easy, but I'll eat them anyway. And I eat a lot of hard boiled eggs too. So, like, because they're so easy to make, you know, you just throw them in the pot and let them sit there.
0: How do you do the hard boiled eggs? Do you just like kind of peel it and then just salt and eat it? Or do you make it into a salad?
1: No, I don't. Making egg salad takes too long. I'll put a lot of eggs in my
0: salads too. Okay, so I I will say that I love over easy also. I learned that there was a thing called over medium where you just cook it a little bit more, and it's like, wow, I that that I may prefer a little bit more than over easy.
1: Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about because it sets up the yolk just a little bit where it's not like fully runny. I mean, usually I'll do over easy because it I want the runny for like on toast kind of thing. But I'd have to agree with over medium because over medium, you get, I don't know what it is, you get the yolky feeling and maybe taste, then the runniness and feeling like you didn't cook it enough kind of thing, you know?
0: I'm sure we all have memories from childhood of seeing other kids and wanting to be like them. Unfortunately for Steven, that just wasn't in the cards. What was growing up like for you? I was
1: born in Kaimuki. My mom was 18. Mm -hmm. My dad was still 17. Then we moved over to Iaea. We moved there when I was four. Well, now I can still remember a lot of my childhood. Because I went to kindergarten at Alba Scott Elementary, right on Moanalua Road. And went to elementary school that whole time there. And I didn't get into Kamehameha until seventh grade. It was a nice time to grow up there. Like it was still a little bit rural. You know, Pearl Ridge was there already. Being in Iaea was like almost the tail edge of the outer suburbs, you know, downtown or Honolulu or anything like that. The one thing I can remember because of the environment I grew up in and because of school and everything was I used to wonder... How come I wasn't Japanese? <laughs> like, all, my, all the neighbors, all the kids I went to school with, pretty much all of them were Japanese. I was, like, the one Hapa kid. There was maybe, like, three or four of us, like, total in my grade, you know? And I was like, I want to be Japanese. How do I get to be Japanese? I think I even asked my mom, like, at one point, like... How come I'm not Japanese? How do I get to be Japanese? And she's like, I don't think she even answered because I think she was stumped. Like, like, do I tell this kid that's not going to be happening anytime soon? Or
0: did, did did you have like kids in your neighborhood who you hung out with? You know, oh yeah, people... like I,
1: our whole street. You know, we used to play on the street until nighttime until the light came on okay go out and play on the street And when the light comes on you gotta come home so we used to do that all the time oh i used, that used to be my favorite especially during summer like when we would play hide and go seek or kick yeah. the can like out on the street and then we'd hide in everybody's like bushes and stuff and cry, like all the neighbors and none of the neighbors complained you know what i mean it was everybody's kids so they were just like oh, there are those kids playing again, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I used to hang out with all the kids on our street and we just used to have fun. And since my driveway had a, had a hill going down it, um, we used to all like roller skate and like skateboard, like down my hill into my driveway and my grandfather would move. All the cars would be out of the driveway during the day. So we'd be like playing in the like garage and stuff and, And so we wouldn't get run over on the street kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Stephen, as a seventh grader, was entering a new school, surrounded by new people, and he was making new friendships that would endure. Do you have specific memories or stories from Kamehameha that you'd like to share?
1: Elementary school time progressed and I became more self-aware of how I was and who I was and what direction I wanted to go into, I guess, you know, like out at public school, they took you on the field trip to go to the intermediate school you were going to go to. And I remember going to Ia intermediate school and going, I cannot go here. And I remember <laughs> crossing my fingers and like basically praying to every God I could find and going, you have to get me in to come in, I I cannot go to this school. Like, there's no way I can go to this school. I was so relieved when the acceptance letter came because there really was only, there was only two people in our district. All I I remember was when I heard that they only picked two people from our district, I was like, oh, I got so lucky. (laughs) Um, When that happened, then I remember, okay, you know, I'm going to have a better time in school, which I did. You know, your first day of seventh grade at a completely new school where you literally knew one person that went to school with you who was also that their first day. And I can remember feeling really excited and extremely freaked out, like scared. And then, I believe it was that first day. I either met Taryn Tomasa. Or it was Kaylee, one of the two that have left an impression on me all this time. You know, one was Karen, because she was in, like, so many of my classes that first day. Mm-hmm. And she and I were, yeah. like, destined to have to talk to each other because we were in so many classes together.
0: Who did you keep in contact with over the years, if any?
1: I kept in contact with one person, Kaylee. Kaylee Houston Aquaro. She's the only person I kept in contact with from high school, out of high school, like to this day. So it's like, and- You guys are, like
0: connected it, at the hip from, from what I remember. we
1: I, We're still so connected at the hip. So it's kind of like, she's like my other half sister. Social media, as much of a bum rap as it gets has been a wonderful thing because I've discovered people that I hadn't talked to in decades that I've reconnected with. And not just from our our class, but from other places, like I hadn't talked to some people in like 20 years and all of a sudden here they were on Facebook trying to find me. And I'm like, I've been trying to find you for 20 years. Where have you been? Same thing with our classmates. Once we got onto Facebook and created our group and started friending each other and and doing all that kind of stuff, it really helped to facilitate getting back together There's a lot of boarders that get together once a year to do something with each other. They like go on trips once in a while. They all came up here. So I got a chance to spend uh, like a bunch of time with like 15 of them. The mall was a really great place for me to run into a lot of old classmates, honestly. Jeffrey Munden? (laughs) Or, you know, like I would see Uolani Akiona at the mall and she would come in and she'd be like, why do you look from, I'm like, I'm like, reconnecting with just those people helped me to easily reconnect with a lot of people.
0: I I would agree. There's, There's a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things out there. And I can envision, you know, sitting down and having a great conversation with everybody. I'm discovering that everybody had hidden
1: talent you know this is like stuff that was like I'm like wait why didn't we get together about this 31
0: years ago
1: or 32 or 33 years ago I was always looking for inspiration from everyone and now I'm getting more inspiration from them gee I wish I knew this existed before
0: for those of us who've known Steven even in passing There's no mistaking that he's someone who's moved to the beat of his own drum. He is as honest and uniquely his own person as he is comfortable with who he is. Adolescents may see it one way, while now, as adults, we can appreciate the value and importance of one's sense of self, no matter what your age. How are you different and better than you were when you were in high school, and How are you the same? If there's
1: one thing that is the same, is that I've never really cared what other people thought about me. (laughs) But, you know, I just, I've always marched to my own beat. And uh, there's been times where I'm like, maybe I should be normal. And then that doesn't last for very long.
0: When you said that, you know, ever since you were young, you know, you never really cared what people thought about you. You had a, a supportive family network that, that said, you know what, we, we you know, care about you just where you are, or where did that come from?
1: Well, you know, I did have a, a, you know, looking back at it, I did have a very supportive family network that way. I think because I always wanted to be not like everybody else. From the time I can remember, I can remember. So, you know, I wanted Barbies when I was three. I had, you know, Wonder Woman things and Hello Kitty when I was five. And that was like right when she came out. It was always looking for what was going to be the thing that I wanted or I wanted to be without pigeonholing myself into a box. Like, this is. This is for boys, this is for girls. And I think this is a lot of things that have been brought up and discussed about gender and gender identity now. But when, you know, back when we were little, these were things that nobody had any clue about for the most part. It wasn't something that was in the vernacular. It wasn't something that people even thought about. It was like boys or boys, girls or girls, blah blah blah, this is the way it is. And it's like, you know, no, it's it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, why do we assign pink as a girl color? Like I lived for pink ever since I was a big <laughs> little boy. And you know, and, and and the funny thing is, it's like guys look good in pink and, and they, were, they would like run away from it until the eighties. You know, it's like the eighties kind of changed a lot of that gender normalcy, or you know, that cisgender norm of that, you can't do this and you can't do that, you know, and that's where we, you know, since we were children of that, like, that's where I ran to, you know, was like, oh, okay. Well, I am going to wear this skirt. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I am going to wear leggings even before everybody started wearing leggings.
0: Uh Ah, so, um, (laughs) So, but. So, so, you know, it's interesting that that you bring that up.
1: I, I think in high school we were, we clicked all you know everybody was very clicky but Mm -hmm. once we got out and and started to come together you know over the years yeah we tend to be the type of people that want to host the party or to get the party started or but nobody really kind of knew you know even we didn't kind of know that back when we were in high school but i noticed that when we get out of high school, it's like, oh, no, we are the ones that are going to like, okay, I'm going to make you laugh and I'm going to, you know, here's where we're going to go and we're just going to do stupid stuff and blah, 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 blah,
0: blah. Uh, you know? w- was, it, was it that you were a little, you know, reluctant to be um, out in front of other people or in front of the class because of how you'd be perceived? or, or what? I,
1: I, Yeah, I think a lot of that is that... A lot of it was the time period, you know. It was, The, yeah. uh, the acceptance level and uh, the hiding in the closet and all that other stuff. I mean, there were a lot of us who there was no way there was going to be hiding in the closet. Even if we thought there was going to be hiding in the closet, it was not going to be happening.
0: Did you consider yourself in the closet back then? I'm, oh, uh, no,
1: no, no. Do you want to hear a funny story? I came sure. out to Karen Tomasa in the seventh grade she was one of the first people i made friends with when i came in at seventh grade and i don't know why i just told her i'm like no i like boys and she's like okay you know (laughs) and it was kind of like that was it like she was like the first person i ever like actually admitted that to but then it became i think later on in high school it wasn't so much I was hiding something cuz everybody knew.
0: I do remember back when we were very young, yeah, that there, there wow. wasn't a lot of discussion about, you know, the, you know, gay culture or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's quite mainstream. And right. and you, so you lived during this this transformation period. Can you think of any, you know, sentinel events that happened that lended toward the shift or was it like a gradual, you know, you know undercurrent of change? That that's I, the, think, got us I think
1: it's more the latter because what I've seen and what my, my experience in the gay community, there's been no, like, there's been no paradigm shift with the gay thing. I think because it's something that can be hidden. You can't hide that you're black but you can hide that you're gay for the for the most part I could never do it but um, <laughs> some people could you know and and have done it for decades and you know half a century or longer and are still doing it to to this day but does that really define who you are totally not all the time you know your sexuality and your doesn't really define everything about you. So I think what we've seen is that the culture get pushed and pushed and pushed into a little by little by little bit of um, of being more accepting. And, you know, and I think that's the way it kind of needed to happen, though.
0: How do you feel about the status of the uh, gay community or the LGBTQ community? What do you think the victories are? What do you think? you know, the important needs are and, and the things that you'd like to see change.
1: Well, you know, I think one of the important parts that we've, we've achieved, I think is, a, is more acceptance. Uh, you're never going to please everybody, but we're, you know, we're actually more acceptable than we were 20 years ago. And that's, that's a step in the right direction. I think the thing that needs to get worked on, and this is something that's just really starting to get talked about, again, even though it's something that's been talked about in our community, is the fact that there is a lot of institutionalized racism. I had a friend post a painting, or it was like a drawing by this artist, and it had all those archetypal white gay men on the top of an iceberg with a bunch of everybody else crawling up from underneath the iceberg. And it was like, it was the most perfect picture to describe what's kind of going on in the gay community because it's like, okay, these guys are on the beach partying, like on the iceberg partying, like doing all this stuff, but they're standing on top of all these other parts of gay culture and Mm -hmm. LGBTQ culture that is, still needs to be heard. I think the younger generation of, of kids that are coming up are a lot more varied, are a lot more accepting of things, not always being perfect. Mm -hmm. Things not always being, you know, to an archetype and that in itself is helping it, you know? And I think that's, that helps what's kind of going on in our government too. So as being a, basically a fashionista myself, um, knowing how the fashion industry has been chari- like really trying to push lately. There's been a lot of newer designers that are willing to like push the envelope of what beauty standards are and what we perceive as beauty. And the fact that they've been using a lot of gender nonspecific models, a lot of um, trans models in, runway shows a lot of men in women's typical runway shows a lot of women in men's runway shows you know it's it's kind of become like it's okay for anybody to be what they want as long as they're being true to themselves and uh, that's the way it should be we've put everybody into the boxes that we want to put them into and now it's time to get rid of that box Gucci is like one of the, the biggest lines there is out there, right? Everybody knows Gucci. Everybody knows who they are, blah, blah, blah. There has never been a Gucci show since Alessandro has taken over that company that has not had a man in a dress or a woman in a big giant suit or several guys. You can't tell. Half the time you can't tell if his models are even people. <laughs> like You can't tell if they're human. <laughs> they look like people. But that's all they look. They don't even look like a boy or a girl. They're a people. And, you know, and it's like to get to that point in our society is actually kind of really kind of neat because that's come that's something back in the day when I lived in Manhattan and w- I was part of the Club Kid scene, that was kind of our whole deal was like we just wanted to be people. We didn't want to be Boys, we didn't want to be girls. We wanted to be creatures, and we wanted to like do whatever we wanted to, and yada 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 yada. You know, and it was fun. And I and I realized that that was something that needed to happen.
0: When you're getting to know someone, you learn a lot about them—the interesting, the extraordinary, and the mundane. But just when you start to think you know all the big things about them, they can reveal something completely unexpected. How was, it, how was it at the beginning, um, you know, when you, when you were first uh, diagnosed with HIV?
1: Knowing my behavior was contributing to my status was probably more like, oh, it's time to pay the piper with, <laughs> with what you've been doing, or here, here your number came up because you tempted fate too many times. When, during the first part of my HIV diagnosis, there was a part where I was semi-depressed and fatalistic and nihilistic and all those things. I look at my HIV as, and this is totally me, and partially my partner in the way that we both kind of feel, is that that was something we were in control of that maybe we didn't have control of. With my initial diagnosis of HIV, like, that was partially my undoing like you know you were self-sabotaging yourself and so. however i am very fortunate and lucky to be in the age of modern medicine where and if you just don't take your pills you're gonna die you know i mean that's kind of what it's become a bit which is sad because it needs to either be eradicated or you know yeah. eliminated so
0: HIV is a retrovirus which attacks white blood cells that help our bodies fight infection. This makes a person more vulnerable to getting an infection and less able to fight off infections. If untreated, HIV can progress to AIDS or acquired immunodeficiency syndrome or a person's CD4 count, a specific type of white blood cell drops below 200 or the person has an opportunistic infection which is an infection our immune system would normally defend against unless there's some underlying cause making our body more susceptible to it. Fortunately, there's antiretroviral therapy, or ART, that can keep the viral load or the amount of virus in the blood low. Low enough that the person can go on living a long and otherwise healthy life. The human body can't get rid of HIV, so while it is treatable, there's still no cure and art needs to be taken indefinitely in order to keep the virus at bay. Now, as if a diagnosis of HIV wasn't enough to deal with in a lifetime, after our 30th class reunion, Stephen fell gravely ill and received a diagnosis that caused him to reevaluate his life once more. Let me ask you, how's it been going with your diagnosis? Um it's been
1: challenging, but nothing that I don't seem I wasn't prepared for. Um, I already have one one chronic disease, so that and one chronic fatal disease because i'm hiv positive but um so knowing that and having that and then getting a cancer diagnosis was a little bit of a, like, Oh, now I got to deal with something again. But because I dealt with a lot of things like mortality wise, just, you know, from back in dealing with my HIV at the beginning, cause it's been like a long time. It's been like 12 years, 12, 13 years since we got diagnosed, but um, getting that, diagnosis and dealing with that kind of stuff early on kind of prepared me for like well here's another curveball for you so you know it's been great to have friends to reach out to you know i realized we have a big vast family of people to pull from you know when we need them if we stay connected and honestly facebook's been like a godsend for me on that
0: i mean how long have you known?
1: Only since April, like the end of April.
0: Wow! So you, it you
1: just it it was acute. So it, it I just hit the it just hit me, and it it was kind of like I guess there were signs at the beginning because I had leukemia cutis on my skin, and I didn't know that's what it was because I thought it was just rash, mm-hmm. but um, once I kind of got through that, and then all of a sudden my platelets were almost zero at one point, so that 's kind of how I found out because you nobody expects to get cancer, but having to deal with a lot of things that people deal with a lot when they get cancer, and i've trust me i 've dealt with them all over again, like mortality, thinking about what's going to happen if you know, I'm not here, who's going to take care of this and blah, blah, blah. Those things tended to be less detrimental. I think my, the depression portion that I know a lot of people go through of mine was a little shorter because I did have a time period like during my cancer that I had a depression portion. It was easier to deal with this time around because I already had that experience. I think I just broke my comfort zone when I started doing my, you know, when I got my leukemia because I don't like looking at myself on video.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: you know, and I had to get used to it to the point where this is how I look too bad. You know what I mean?
0: So how often do you get your chemo? Okay. month. Okay. What's the course?
1: Well, I'm going into a different course now that I'm getting two courses of cytarabine a day for either three to five days. They haven't told me for sure yet. I think I find that out this week. Like I'm, I'm just in clinic this week just to like double check my numbers and double check all that kind of stuff, but I shouldn't be getting any, uh, chemo. They'll probably be telling me this week, like which level course that I have to be on.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And then that should be once a
0: month. Ask: Is that your own shirt, or is that the thing that the hospital provides it that you put on? No, this is mine. <laughs> I was going to no, say this that's is mine. Some fancy hospital garb, if that is. No, I'm like
1: trying. You know what? Like I used to work in the medical field a little yeah. bit, like you know, doing um administrative work and stuff. And ever since then, I've kind of been obsessed with how ugly scrubs are and how yeah, ugly gowns are. are, and just this last round when I've been going through like the first time I went into the hot, cause I'd never been in a hospital. I'd never actually been hospitalized. Mm-hmm. So until my cancer. So I'm like, okay. They threw me in a gown and I'm like, this is the most impossible garment for anyone to do anything with. Like <laughs> how, how did this get to be the thing that people chose? Yeah. Like, Oh, this this seems like this is a good idea. Why? Why? What's good about it? Because you can get through it faster. That's what, like scalpels are for. If you have to get to somebody fast enough, cut the thing off of them. I mean, it's just, ugh. So I've been I've been actually sketching out some ideas and trying to design some of that kind of stuff.
0: You know what? I would love to see some of your designs because. Scrubs should be comfortable, I think. And, and yeah. it should look good, too, you know?
1: Right. And, like uh, I'm discovering I have to put zippers in, like, all kinds of stuff because of where my, where my Hickman line is placed right here. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, yeah. so I started, like, installing zippers in, like, sweatshirts so I could just zip it down and get to the line fast without having to, like, take off my clothes. Wow. Or, like, you know, yeah. I mean, they, it, it's stuff that's being made, but it's, like, at the same time, it's, like, the selection that's been out there has mm-hmm. been really horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a polo or a t-shirt. And I'm like, okay, I want something a little more than that.
0: Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> um, so, so what's the toughest part about, about having cancer or living with, you know, the, the diagnosis of leukemia? I think it's been the
1: cycles having to live in a in a one month cycle of okay I have to get chemo this is what I have to do to get better so I have to do these these steps but to go and get chemo get kind of sick get better to go back to getting chemo again it's almost like you're a glutton for punishment and it seems like you're sort of masochistic in a way but what's your alternative your alternative is you're not going to be able to do this cycle or you're not going to be able to do another cycle and it's getting through that point where you look at the bright side and you go well i'm going to have this good week or two break where I'm going to be normal again, and I can do some certain things, but I'm going to have to go back into the hospital or come to the clinic and start getting treatments again. It's looking at that and looking at that as like, the upside of being in this position. Um, And I think that uh, I think that must be challenging for a lot of people, you know, to find that the, the light at the end of that tunnel when the tunnel's starting to come back over, over again, when you just find the light and then all of a sudden, here comes the other tunnel. So, you know, like going through the Wilson Tunnel
0: or something. <laughs> the, the two tunnels of the Poly right. Highway. The light. two
1: tunnels. The two tunnels on the Poly Highway. <laughs> so, it's it's that whole thing like, oh, we're at the end. Oh, we're not at the end. Oh, we're at the end. Oh, we're not at the end. Oh, at the end. Oh, at the end. It's... That's probably the only thing that drives me crazy. Other than that, I'm game for anything when it comes to like treatment plans. I mean, I seemingly dodged a bullet with not having to go to a transplant, but at the same time, you know, at least the, the bright side of that was I got to do a search for, you know, to thousands of people find out if anybody matched me and if i do need a transplant i know i have a match so or several that to choose from and almost a dozen i think i actually had 12 exact matches so that was um that was eye-opening to know that that there's that many people in the database even though some may be no longer here or some may no longer you know be available or whatever, but at least there are several people to choose from.
0: Is that uh-huh. common that, that someone would have that many matches or is it you know less, more common that it'd be hard to find a match? It's, from what
1: I understand, it's especially with our mixed heritage, it's a lot, usually a lot harder, but um, it seems that it is a lot harder in general to find that many matches unless you were of one sort of ancestry. So like, you know, I guess if you're Swedish, there's a lot of Swedes to choose from, you know, and if that's all you are is you're Swedish, you know, or if you're only English, there's a lot of English people to choose from, but the more you get mixed, the more it's a little more of a challenge, but it seems that that's becoming the opposite because we're all so mixed nowadays in the entire, po- on the entire planet that it, it's easier for mixed people to find, you know, like matches than, than I think it would be going in the future for pure people to find matches. So it, it, it just depends on what, you know, how this is gonna go down in the future. But it seems like, I, cause I can remember, like drives for, you know, kids and people at home in Hawaii with, um, that people would stand in line for, and I'm wondering, oh, maybe those are some of the people from standing in line, you know? Um,
0: but. Interesting, well, it's nice to know that you have that kind of support available if, if you need it, you know, if, if it ever comes to that. Where do you find your support or do you have a support network? Who is that composed of, you know, right now um, to, to help you get through this, this cancer diagnosis?
1: You know, I've, I guess I had a built-in support network that I didn't really realize activated itself. When I got the bone marrow um, news, it made me step back and kind of think, I'm like, you know, I've had a handful of people who have been constantly checking on me. And I didn't realize how many people that was. It's it's about like six or seven people that have been constantly checking on me. And at some point, of course, you know, I'm like, I don't want to talk about today, but Like, I've had friends that have called me and talked to me, like, every day, who have texted me every day, checking on me, who have said, you know, I'm here for you if you need anything, like, on a weekly to daily basis, including my, you know, physical support network with my husband and my cousin, who I live with. The the two of them have been great, you know, they are, like, taking care of me, don't move, and I'm like, what are you talking about, you know, like, stay home, don't do this, and... Which, you know, I'm very thankful for that I've been lucky enough to have a wide enough net of friends and family to support me during this time. And I know that that's not something that a
0: lot of people have. AML, or acute myelogenous leukemia, is a cancer that starts in the bone marrow, the soft, spongy tissue inside the central parts of bone where we have cells that normally divide. To produce red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. AML most often originates from white blood cells and the cells continue to grow in number more and more until they crowd out other important normal cells in the bone marrow. AML can also spread to other places in the body like the lymph nodes, liver, and brain to name a few. The central treatment for AML is chemotherapy, sometimes with a targeted therapy drug and treatment may also involve a stem cell transplant. Have you thought about like what's most important to you in life? If you had to say, but well, these are the things that matter most to me. It's been a blessing and a
1: curse, I think to have this kind of diagnosis during this time period where everything it's like everything is a disease. <laughs> so everybody's fighting some sort of disease and it's been interesting in the fact that I can now see how people who have had cancer looked at other people back when we were all just running around like crazed animals, not caring about what anybody else, you know, well, not, not like that hasn't changed, but not caring about what, what happens to other people. And I think the most important thing I've found from this whole thing is the only thing that matters to me is the people that I care about. Everything else is totally secondary my job my shoe collection you know all these other like crazy things that we put so much importance on is has become totally background and like just filler where I would say that the that the the thing that the people I love and the people I care about my friends my family the people I work
0: with they're the only things that matter so so how do you feel about turning fifty my birthday's Halloween uh, exactly on Halloween? yeah, so oh, who is that? I
1: you will know. not be turning fifty. I will be turning into a dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> for my birthday
0: <laughs> but but not one of the extinct varieties one of the no varieties.
1: like a living dinosaur that's exactly a living pink. Rainbow dinosaur.
0: That's <laughs> what I'm going to be. So you're going to have to send pictures of that? Maybe I will. You know, just, I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how are you going to celebrate your 50th birthday? I don't know
1: yet. When I turn 50, that's how we know what my parents' anniversary is going to be. So their 50th anniversary is next January. Mm-hmm. So we all have this like 50 thing going on this year. So we're kind of combining it all. And I think... All of our family is going to Japan next year, finally. So, so you, family,
0: relive, you, you can actually live out your dream of being. Wait, right, you go to Japan and be Japanese. Um, <laughs> so I think that's one of the things I want to do.
1: Like, coming up. I need to, I want to travel more. I mean, I guess after last year, mm-hmm. like realizing, like, you don't know what's going to really happen to you if you don't have to hold something back, like don't hold it back.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. My baseline is to put on a show. (laughs) I'm always putting on a show. As you can tell the lighting.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Stephen Lundy for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Sean Maskell, Wendy Brown, and Kaylee Aquaro. And a special thank you to Dwayne Andres for the music and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to subscribe to get the latest updates and news on upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.